Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Happy New Year and welcome to the nonprofit news feed brought to you by Whole Whale, of course. And we are bringing you the news from the extended break that we just took. So Nick, welcome back. We're talking about our lead story, which is around Mastodon actually maintaining its nonprofit status. How's it going? It's going good, George. Happy 2023. Yeah, we did it. New year. I think we were all pretty much ready to (laughs) bury 2022, you know, for talking about a number of different things. I will say that one of the, the positive ends there was definitely about sort of the the news in the midterms about the Democrats retaining uh, some power um, in representation there, which was, you know, a positive light on otherwise like, oh, you know, still waiting on financials from nonprofit donations. We'll be reporting on that. But I think I'm ready. I'm ready for 2023. I'm hoping for a boring 2023. <laughs> no more, no more history defining global events. For a no, more, no more land wars, maybe fewer. No. fewer war- yeah. Fewer wars. Well, I'll tell you what. Maybe what we'll be talking about in 2023 is fewer Twitter wars because our top story to start the podcast is about Mastodon. So Mastodon is an open source microblogging site or social media site. And the story we wanted to highlight was the site, which is billed essentially as a decentralized alternative to Twitter has reportedly rejected offers from more than five U.S.-based investors in recent months, according to reporting from Ars Technica out of Wired Media. So according to the founder, the platform's nonprofit status is, quote, untouchable. The, the, the system is kind of federated. It's decentralized. There's moderators. But it's seen a surge in users since Elon Musk took over Twitter for $44 billion back in October. Um, and many users have flocked to Mastodon for haven from the kind of erratic behavior of, of Musk and kind of hawk policy changes on that platform. And I think what's important to highlight here is in this environment of increasing concerns about social media forms, stability and privacy and ethical issues around mis- and disinformation, et cetera, the nonprofit model may be increasingly salient um, in an industry that's kind of desperate for public trust, right? And quite frankly, those for-profit social media companies aren't delivering that trust. So, George, what do we think about Mastodon? What do we think about nonprofit social media models? You're seeing this flight from centralized capitalist structures of control of social media conversation and platforms for very clear reasons that ultimately when you shift to making money and the customer is no longer the user, but they become the product, right? We hear this all the time with ad being overlaid. Uh, newsfeed being manipulated, shadow banning, moderation questions, and, you know, inevitable, you know, political, political wars sort of happening before our eyes on these platforms. The trust is the question, 
And nonprofits are, I think, the right structure, like legally the right structure where you at least mitigate the need to increase stakeholder return, right? Shareholder return, shareholder value, all of those things. I think we have seen play out over time and inevitably build toward uh, distrust. And Mastodon is an interesting platform. I've played with it. I have built um, some small networks on it. Ultimately, I think it is one of many that will rise, and we're going to be watching this, many new social networking solutions. Um, you know, we're looking also as the blockchain matures a bit more, who will be the uh, initial winner of a, of a blockchain-based decentralized, you'll hear, hear that word a lot, decentralized social media platform. One of the issues I, I do see with Mastodon is that uh, it works for micro networks. It works in the same way that Slack is really amazing for my company communication. And Discord is really great for unique conversations happening about niche topics, be it gaming or uh, cryptocurrency, but ultimately there there is a need for some sort of moderated public commons rather than extreme fragmentation of conversation, which makes me nervous if it is a, the ultimate winner. I have a deep respect for the ability, and finally, I'd say Mastodon's founders to be tested. It's one thing to say, oh, we're a nonprofit, you know, we're humming along at this level, but to have national attention, momentum, and then say, no, I, I'm going to turn down your money. That's, you know, there's a lot of power inherent and, and, you know, don't think it goes unnoticed, I think, by other players. Uh, and there's uh, also a reason we're talking about nonprofits, 501c3 structures for the public benefit, which means you cannot have, you know, share equity distributed uh, that there's a lot of crypto users that and a lot of crypto foundations uh, that choose this model uh, underlying a lot of main platforms. You know, you think, you know, the the Ethereum foundation comes comes to mind. There's a reason why there are 501c3 structures behind it. So I see it as a bit of a bellwether here, but a canary in the full mind saying like this, I think the next Facebook, the next real Twitter, the next public commons will be built under a 501c3 banner for these reasons. And uh, we're very much rooting for this type of solution. Yeah, George, I think that's an excellent analysis. And and the way I see it is there's almost like a yearning for, I hate to use the word vibe, but like the vibe of like the early days of social media, right? That gave us the Arab Spring and Occupy Wall Street. People were organizing, having interesting conversations, kind of like the new frontier. And it wasn't all good, right? It was very deregulated in ways that were potentially harmful. But it seems that people are kind of grasping at, you know, Twitter almost being taken away, <laughs> help people realize the power and importance of those platforms and public discussion and the way that activists and journalists and et cetera can communicate with each other in decentralized ways. And it's going to be really exciting to see what is the winner and where all those people do eventually go to? One thing I know is it's it's never going to be a static winner. There's always the changing of the guard that has to happen as these platforms atrophy and outlive their usefulness. I think there is a lot of actual good things happening just based on some of the data I've seen with regard to the reduction of hate speech. I know you may read articles contrary to that, but 
truth is, and the data are based on reporting that I now trust a bit more, is that net-net, because of the new technology put in place, uh, there are uh, much fewer uh, hate speech tweets um, going off on, on, on the platform. You know, that said, the policies are just sort of tough to keep up with as they go on there. I would say if you are a nonprofit saying, you know, are you considering jumping off of Twitter? I would be very careful um, jumping into any one moment of narrative. If it is producing for you, you know, protest your dislike, but stay on the platform and get yield from it, get impact from it. Um, the same is true for TikTok. I think there is a chance that TikTok gets regulated uh, because of, you know, the implications of Chinese control and manipulation, which is not conspiracy. I think it is literally what the U.S. government is trying to deal with right now. But if you are making hay on that platform, great, but always look to drive asset toward your domain, your email list, and your controlled data assets, whatever those may be. So you are using it for now, um, unless there's a you know a unique case where it is in you know direct violation of the reason your organization exists. Yeah, George, I think that's great advice. These platforms are transient; yes. they come and they go. Yes. But your organization needs to be in it for uh, the long haul and think about that that bottom of funnel impact and goals. All right, shall I take us into our next story? Our next story comes from. Forbes and Forbes released its list of America's 100 charities for 2022. Coming out on top was Feeding America, the Chicago-based umbrella organization that helps supply a network of more than 200 U.S. regional and local food banks, which posted a $4.06 billion donation revenue in 2022, representing a nearly 50% increase in the previous two fiscal years. And overall, the nation's top 100 charities took in a combined $50.8 billion in private donations in the most recently reported fiscal year, which is an 8% increase. And you can find the full list of these nonprofits in the show notes, as well as on nonprofitnewsfeed.com. Uh, but George, why, why do we highlight a list like this? What's, what's kind of the importance of understanding um, the, the macro landscape and the big players? But look, rankings are always hard because there's inevitably somebody left off and some rubric used. I think it's important for us to note, you know, the attention that this warrants and understand the games that are being played and normalized too. So, you know, I, I sort of love hate this and that's just kind of how it land. But, uh, you know, take a look at it and, and see how, how these rankings are, are being compiled and, you know, how you can maybe say your own sort of ranking and narrative being like, we would be on here if you <laughs> change these you know, fundamental components, you know, I, I look at fundraising efficiency and I'm like, not entirely in love with these pieces, but it is uh, definitely a who's who according to Forbes. Worth noting. That it is. All right. I'll take us into our next story. And this comes from OregonLive.com. And the title of this article is A Bank Has Frozen Portland Nonprofit Brown Hopes Account income payments promised to 25 black families. So it seems that the embattled, quote, racial justice nonprofit Brown Hope has delayed $2,000 monthly stipend checks that it's promised to 25 black families after the bank froze its account. It seems that there's chaos within the organization. Um, the, the bank was requesting an official letter um, from the nonprofit's attorney to clarify who the current CEO was, 
Um, it seems there's kind of a lot of fallout here. Um, George, why don't we include this story in the news feed? I, you know, there's a couple angles here. One, it is unfortunately, you know, an organization that rose on the um, on the back of the George Floyd protest, Black Lives Matter donations, all of a sudden overnight getting millions of dollars, maybe not having the infrastructure uh, ready uh, and in place to handle, frankly, that type of attention and, and, and money. And, and on the other side is I really find question when a bank chooses to freeze the funds of an organization because of filing. Right. I don't see the same type of behavior with for-profit companies. And yeah, you filed, you know, some paperwork late, I guess, but to actually freeze funds, to freeze the operations, it's such a severe move, right? To really take a pause. Like I I, I think this needs to be jumped on and hopefully gets a bit more of a national spotlight because only in situations of terrorism and people being literally put in danger should a bank be able to freeze funds of, of a company of an organization and just because this is you know in the limelight right now it makes me very concerned um, to to see that happen um frankly on progressive or conservative um, you know types of nonprofits like the bank should just be a bank yeah i agree with that i i would want you know investigators making these decisions in courts, not banks, which are also private companies. Um, so I, I, I agree with that decision. And I guess, I, well, we'll keep a, keep an eye on the rest of the story. It's that was murky. A, I'll be honest. Cool. It's murky. It's not entirely clear. I'm looking for other things. And that's what I saw. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. All right. I want to take us into a next one. And this one's kind of a kind of an unusual article for us, but I think it's interesting and worth reading. And this comes from Philanthropy Daily. And the article is titled Revisiting Pope Benedict's Thought on Reason and Faith. Pope Benedict, of course, is the second most recent pope. Um, Benedict passed away um, at the age of 95 over the holiday break. Uh, pope Francis is currently hope and pope and uh, was the successor to Benedict. But this article talks about um, Christian charity and how Benedict saw charity and faith and reason um, and kind of contextualized some of the threads that Benedict pulled um, through his tenure as pope. And George, something that you and I were talking about on the podcast was how, quite frankly, a lot of philanthropic giving or charitable giving made by individuals just in the U.S. but around the world are faith-based. They're donations made through a church to a, a, a faith-affiliated organization. And that's how a lot of people interact with uh, charity and humanitarian works. Um, and we, we were talking about how kind of a decrease in engagement in faith um, has potentially come at the expense of a decrease in funding for those faith-based organizations. They're directly affiliated with the church, a la a Catholic Relief Services, or indirectly affiliated, right? A faith-based nonprofit that's a separate entity. Um, so kind of kind of an interesting article. And I wonder what the thread you pulled out of this was, George. Yeah, I, you know, I take it in as a moment to to look at where the religion is playing into nonprofit narratives in, in the U.S. and it's it's 
it's real, right? Like there needs to be a rise of a replacement for the the call to give at large, because with the decrease in religious participation, uh, Pew Research called it the rise of religious nuns, right? So like when, which religion do you select on this survey form? Uh, nuns, it is, it is ever increasing in the U.S., and, you know, the, the drop is precipitous, like religiously unaffiliated, unaffiliated people is roughly at 30% while uh, Christians, and this is as of uh, 2021, I believe, uh, is at 63%, down from an all-time high of 90%, which is quite something. Um, if you look back to 1970 and, you know, correlation causation, mind you, maybe we're just tying two lines together, uh, but I, I do think that if you had a room full of people being asked to give every Sunday and then suddenly that room is not being, you know, filled, it's dropped by, by those uh, 30 percentage points. That's, that's, you know, a real narrative. So what takes that place is a question, uh, I think. And, you know, the, the passing of uh, past Pope is uh, a moment of reflection on that. Yeah, it's an interesting thread. And I think um, it might actually be worth looking into more because I think, George, you and I, when we read about charitable giving affiliated with faith-based organizations, we're always surprised what how high that percentage of, of nonprofits in the U.S. are actually faith-affiliated. Um, so a thread worth following for sure. All right. And our last story is that fans have raised more than $3 million, $3 million for Damar Hamlin's toy drive. And this comes from reporting from NPR.org. Um, so Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin was rushed off the field uh, in the Bills Bengals game last night as of recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon. Um, supposedly, uh, they were performing CPR um, on the field and is now intubated um, and in critical condition. Um, and it turns out this Bills safety. Um, Damar Hamlin had created a GoFundMe charity page to give kids toys. And you go, you go to the GoFundMe and it has a goal of like $2,000 or whatever. Um, but now that GoFundMe is up to over $4 million. Um, I think just a lot of people saw uh, this, this moment, this um, really sad moment quite frankly, that left a lot of people shocked. And um, we're looking for a way to give back to a, a guy who, quite frankly, didn't deserve it. No one deserves to be in this situation. And uh, through an outpouring of support, um, donated to his his GoFundMe. And, and we wish nothing but uh, the speediest of, of recovery in what's definitely a, a scary situation. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how this came about. It is actually a toy drive that he created in, I believe it was 2020. It's actually up to $4.4 million in terms of the number of at least reported on GoFundMe. And it was actually being routed through the Chasing M's Foundation Community Toy Drive. And it seems like, you know, clearly we are, we're past sort of traditional toy drive season. But the Chasing M Foundation has updated that, you know, GoFundMe page to just talk about uh, its, its general support. And, you know, a couple of thoughts here is just that, you know, this is um, a, an example of press-driven guilt fundraising. 
and I don't mean guilt in a bad way, but it's just we feel guilty that there are a bunch of people deriving entertainment from people that put themselves at risk for a sport. Risk of concussion, and in this case of, you know, hopefully not fatal, but cardiac damage. And, you know, we then, as, as a community, when we see this in the press, look for a way to vent um, that guilt and, and or show, show that compassion. Finding an outdated toy drive to give to and sending that signal is the net result. And there's a lot of power in the fact that GoFundMe, there are so many different types of celebrity and otherwise driven fundraisers. All these stories sort of lying in, lying in wait for when there is maybe one of these moments. And so, you know, you know, a question is how, how this can be routed toward the best possible purpose when it matters. And it's hard. It's a hard question. Uh, in the meantime, you know, does this really speak to giving toward maybe what should be happening with regard to health and safety of, uh, of players and, and players that go all the way down to, you know, high school? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, obviously thoughts and prayers for, for the family, for the fans involved. But it's one of the very interesting giving patterns uh, that does get large-scale giving to happen. And it kind of confounds me a little bit um, sometimes about how we balance that with a, a effective donation vehicles. Yeah, I think that's an interesting narrative, George. I think for me, when I, I saw the fundraiser, I, I saw it as just an outpouring of compassion mm -hmm. that's very, very human. And I think I think it was on one side, people taking stake and American football is a huge part of life and society. And I think people were very good about realizing football is not what was, what was most important yesterday. Um, I think in also some ways, it's a subversive show of and kind of an endorsement of the idea that maybe this is too violent of a sport. And maybe that's just that's just me projecting. But, um, you know, I guess we'll see um, what we hear more from the NFL. Um, but I, I think that the, the conversations around the health and safety of these players um, is now at front and center. And that people donating to this is part of that story as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out with regard to but of course, as as we talk now, um, I, I believe from what I've seen, he remains in, in critical condition. So wish him wish him all the best. Yeah, and just to come back, just to you know, I feel like my statements can be taken out of context or appear kind of like heartless. The Chasing M Foundation was in fact set up um, by by Hamlin, and it was uh, according to this quote to positively impact the community that raised me. And his first goal of the charity was to raise 2,500 through a toy drive, providing toys for underprivileged kids in that area. And so that was, you know, set up, um, you know, back, you know, way back. And he just, main, the main portal of this seems to be this GoFundMe page. So kind of interesting. Um, and we'll see like, you know, $4 million showing up on your doorstep how you know how do you set that up and hopefully it, it does support the community where he was was raised yeah absolutely um i i think something else george is i i went to 
a school, a very competitive sports school. Um, the truth of the matter is that a lot of our greatest athletes and most celebrated athletes come from extremely diverse communities across all of America, in, including a lot of athletes who come from, I, not speaking on Hamlin, but come from a lot of socioeconomically diverse communities as well. Um, and it's, it's cool to see athletes giving back to community um, like this. But, but like you said, we'll see. We'll see I, how this all shapes out. And uh, yeah. All right, George, how about, how about a feel-good story? All right, what do you got? All right. This one comes from Glenn. <laughs> this is a story from Brooklyn. And uh, this is about the polar bear plunge, which happens every year in Coney Island on New Year's, in which a bunch of absolutely insane people run into the water um, in the freezing... <laughs> what body of ocean is that? That's the Atlantic, right? Coney Island's the Atlantic Ocean. Yikes. Uh, this is not a geography in... podcast. It's, the, it's the, the ocean I'm right next to. Um, but they run in. It's really cold and money for charity. And... Um, power to them but they are still all insane well, i will say i was actually uh in coney island at the coney island brewery on on new year's eve earlier in the day and i saw them advertising for it and there was about i'll say a solid 27 seconds where i considered signing up for this so i uh, i applaud to the polar bear plungers all across the country raising money for nonprofits. i think it is awesome speaking of plunges nick i got a question for you oh boy how often, follow me now, how how often do pool lifeguards donate to charity? Pool lifeguards, I do not know. It deepends. Well, yikes. That's what I got for you. That's good. It deepends. All right, Nick, I think we're, uh, we're ready to let people get on with their year. Be out there. See you out there. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 